You are listening to Buccaneer for Wildlife, a podcast hosted by me, Lucy Luck, where I talk to all sorts of people about nature, about wildlife, and about conservation in the world today. Hello, listeners, and happy 2023. I hope you had a great Christmas, a great holidays, and a happy new year. I'm actually recording this right now back in time on New Year's Eve in 2022. So in between that weird week between Christmas and New Year's I went and spoke to my guest who we'll be talking to today. I spoke to someone who I'm very lucky and grateful to call friend and that is Constance Morris. I met Connie maybe about two years ago, no, three years ago, when I moved here. She was part of Mount Spain Marine Group, and she was one of the core members, and naturally I just ended up doing a lot of work with her, volunteer work, and then as I learnt more about what she does outside of volunteering, which is going on lots of beach walks, doing beach combing, collecting bones, I wanted to know more and I wanted to be her friend and join this world that she has. And we've just kind of just created this really lovely bond and um, I'm grateful to call her a friend. And she's definitely a massive inspiration to me for what I do with wildlife. She's taught me a ridiculous amount. She's shown me so much. She's helped me so much. I am just oh, so, so thankful. She's just, she's just an icon. She's a bloody icon. So I went round Connie's house and did a recording, and which was really lovely. And she's got two pets, Monty and Haku. And they were, well, Monty got banished because um, he's just an old farty dog. But Haku stayed and he was really cute. Did our recording. And then we just went on a really lovely walk afterwards. We went to a beach where we know loads of stuff washes up and we just went scavenging, went beach combing and did a bit of a litter pick, found quite a lot, found two American boys and the difference between American ones and UK ones is American ones are made of styrofoam, um, which I didn't know. So again, I learned that from Connie. And I also came home with a bone. I came home with a chevron from minky well that stranded back in february um so that was really cool so the reason i spoke to connie is because she has her own alter ego which is called connie's creatures now that's why i spoke to connie it was to talk all about connie's creatures what connie creatures is what does it involve what does she do with it and so i'm not going to say any of that i'm going to leave that up to Connie in our interview to tell you all about Connie's creatures. So hello Connie. Hello Lucy. Welcome today. I've been wanting to talk to you for ages, <laughs> ages and ages. So I'm glad we're here. You've got Haku on your lap. I do. So if I get purrs through the, uh, I'm sorry, That's okay. through the podcast. That's okay. Monty's been banished upstairs. Yes, the dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's just she's noisy and old and farting so you don't want that in your podcast oh, 
extra bonus noises. <laughs> so we're here to talk to you today because you have an alter ego. Yeah, I do. Connie's Creatures. Yep. Who is Connie's Creatures? What is Connie's Creatures? Right, so Connie's Creatures, I um, started doing, I don't know, about three years ago properly. And I started doing it because I volunteer for a couple of organisations. And some of the stuff that we do is we go out and record dead animals on the beach. And even I, when you were going to record these animals, hadn't seen these creatures. And it suddenly occurred to me, if I hadn't seen these creatures, who else hasn't seen these animals? So I started to collect these animals from off the beaches and um, preserve them, whether that was cleaning the bones and the skeletons and the skulls or taxidermying them and wet or dry specimens. And then I take them around schools or groups or anybody that will listen to me, basically, um, about the wildlife from our coast in Cornwall. And you find them all here? They're all in the Mounts Bay? They're all from Cornwall, yeah. So uh, the furthest I've travelled was to get a pilot whale skull, and that was our side of Plymouth, so still in Cornwall. Um, There is one locally that has been buried on a beach that I will eventually get. Has it? Yeah. The one that washed in at the beginning of the year. Oh, what? The minky? No, a pilot whale. Um, they buried it because it was starting to stink. So I will replace my pilot whale because it's got some damage to the skull with this one eventually. So yeah, everything's been literally collected from Penwith. Like I said, apart from the pilot whale at the minute. But that will change. That's amazing. I love that. I just love that. All your bones. I can't remember the first time I saw your bones. I can't remember what it was. But I was just... It blew my mind seeing all these bones. And Nobody skulls. sees them. If you think about it, where's the closest place that we can go to in Cornwall, especially this end of Cornwall in Penwith, Nowhere. to go see our natural history displayed? Nowhere. I mean, there's the clo- only the Falmouth Maritime, but that's just a temporary. That's a temporary display. display. And then the closest one we've got is the box in Plymouth. They actually, I've not been, but I've I've been stalking their webpage for quite a while, and I need to go. And they've got quite an extensive collection, but that's Plymouth, so that's still not an hour and a half away from where we are. It doesn't make sense why there isn't something here. No, it doesn't. Since everything you found is species we have here. Yeah. We have all those species alive all the time. Yep. Why? We sh- we need to have a museum. We do. I don't know why we don't have a museum. No, I don't understand that one either. I think it's just funding, isn't it? The yeah. lot of these things. But once you see some of the stuff you find... I'm seeing stuff all the time now. And I yeah. It. I love it's, it. It's getting the eye in, isn't it? It's noticing the odd colours, shapes amongst mm. the rocks and the seaweeds and things like that. Like I said, and these animals are absolutely amazing. And people don't know that half the wildlife that we have exists here because we're extremely lucky in Cornwall. So let's use cetaceans for an example. So it's cetacean, the word, is the family group 
um, of whales, dolphins and porpoises. So there's about 100 cetaceans worldwide and a third of them come past our country. I didn't actually know that. Yeah, so a third of all cetaceans worldwide come to England and people don't know that. It is a hub for wildlife here. Yeah. The same with the seals. So when I spoke to Sue Sayers, she was saying the amount of seals that are in Britain, it's like, what, 40%, 50% of the world's population of seals, grey seals are here yeah. in the UK. And a big chunk of that is Cornwall. Yeah. And a big chunk of that is Penwyn. Yeah. Yeah. But no one knows. No, no one knows. Do you have any memories of bone collecting or something that's really stood out or were you fascinated when you were younger like did it start brewing before Um, your organization volunteering well yes and no so I've always been interested in the natural world um and then when this sounds really disgusting when we when i was little my family owned a restaurant we had a, we lived in a flat so we didn't really have space for collections or doing things like this but um when my dad used to order fish for the restaurant i'd make him order me a fish so these are raw whole fish and usually gurnards. I have a bit of a fascination with gurnards when I was little. And he'd buy me a gurnard and I'd get to play with this gurnard in the bath. And I'd get to inspect it and have a look at it. And he'd do this for me actually quite regularly. This was him being able to enable my fascination with with wildlife. Um, but then it actually sort of dwindled a little bit. And that was mainly because, so I'm dyslexic and when I was in school, dyslexia wasn't a thing. So I was put in like remedial classes. I was told that I was just pretty much stupid until I reached college. It's when I was first diagnosed with dyslexia. So, But because I thought I wasn't clever enough, I never pursued what I wanted to do. So I actually wanted to be a vet when I was growing up. But like I said, because I was told that I was stupid, I didn't pursue it. And I thought there's no point in me even continuing down this path. And then stopped. It's horrible, isn't it? I had a similar thing. I wanted to be a vet. Firstly, it put me off because it took so long. And I thought I wasn't smart enough because I was never in top sets. But it doesn't matter. Everyone's smart in different ways. But in school, it does kind of drill into you, like, oh, you're not in top set for anything. Yeah. And you're not going to be yeah. in not... the medical world of any sort. Which so is I get that. stupid, I get that. though, isn't it? Because some of the most cleverest people in this world have learning difficulties and stuff like that. It's just finding a way of focusing it and people that believe in you. Yeah. That's rem- the biggest part. I remember in secondary school, we'd have a... It was just one lesson, and they were like, we're not going to have a lesson today. We're going to sit down and talk about people who are on a spectrum and actually tell you that that's okay. And I remember I remember this like it was yesterday. It was a slideshow of celebrities who are dyslexic, autistic, and it was people, like, the one I remember the most is the guy from Ghostbusters. They're like, oh, did you know? He's on the spectrum. And I didn't know that. Um, it was just nice that they 
showed us that and said it's okay. But then it kind of disappeared and it was never mentioned ever again. Oh, really? So... It's just like was... dangling a carrot in front of you that you... Yeah. These people are awesome, you could be awesome, but, but we're not going to give you the tools to do it. Just like a little sneak peek. Yeah, there's these people. Okay, anyway, <laughs> yeah. you're not in top sets, so... You're not going to be a vet. <laughs> no, I get that. Um, but everyone has got their own ways and if you are dyslexic, there's ways to... Deal with it. Deal with it. Yeah. And then you'll actually sometimes be better than other people because you've figured out how to clock your brain into doing the right thing. Well, yeah. Well, so once I was diagnosed with dyslexia, I went from bottom set to having distinctions because it was recognised. Not because I was stupid, just because I can't spell the word correctly doesn't mean that the point I'm trying to get across is wrong. It's still there. You still know. I'm like, my spelling's awful. And I think that sometimes I think, oh, I'm really stupid that I don't know how to spell something. No, it's not. But it's not. No, it's not. It's not, so... And then yeah. once I'd worked that out, so like in my mid-twenties, I did a couple of open university courses on subjects I enjoyed, so like um, evolution and fossils and ecosystems and things like that. And then it wasn't until I got my dog and I blame him for everything that I do now, that I reconnected with my love for nature because my dog loves the beach and we spent all of our time on the beach. And then as soon as you do that, you start noticing things. Um, And that's when I started my volunteering as well, was for the dog. (laughs) And then I started collecting. I blame him for everything. It's all Monty. Monty. Would it have ever been called after Monty? Pardon? Would it have ever been called after Monty if Monty was like the reason you got into it? Would Monty have been an alternate name instead of Connie's Creatures, do you think? No, because... It's not catchy. Not catchy, <laughs> and he's not going to... He's old, so he's yeah. not going to be around for that much longer, bless him. Hence the farting. <laughs> Hence he's been banished upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, I think I have a... I remember you had a conversation with your mum before, and I think your mum said that even when you'd go on walks on the beach, you'd look at dead things and just run over to them. Yeah. I think she said something about there was a, a whale stranded. That was when, that was a... And you just, you, you just ran she over to it. She took us down to see it. And you were just like, your head was in it. Well, I can't remember the exact story, but she's like, yeah, she's always it had was head a sp- in the dead corpse of a whale. It was a sperm whale. Like I said, my parents were awesome. They didn't have the space to facilitate... At home. At home, but they they would try their best. Um, so when the sperm whale washed up on one of our local beaches, one of the first things they did was take everybody, all us down there to see it. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you imagine that though? I just see hey, that. kids. <laughs> Look at the dead animal. <laughs> Which would be like four times your height. Oh, and the rest. Oh. Yeah, we were little. We were like, I think we were like, I think I was like six and my brother would have been about eight. But how lucky that you grew up here here to be able to have that. Yeah. Well, you could I... go to the beach and see, yes, it was a dead sperm whale, but you saw it. You saw it. You could fathom its size. Like, yeah. That's the thing that blows my mind is seeing like, when that minky whale washed up. Was the size? I know it's not the biggest whale. It was like 21 foot, but even the size of that is just immense. Yeah. Because you don't see, when you see them in the water, they, they breach. Well, no, they don't breach. They come up, they put their blowhole up, they take a puff. You might see a bit of the back. You hardly ever see the length of their body. You don't see the tail end. 
So you don't appreciate how big these animals are. And all the details, so like all the their chin and all the little like folds in their Pot, skin. Yeah. Um, baleen plates. Baleen plates. I hadn't seen them before. That's why I love all the dead stuff. It's just seeing you appreciate everything a bit more. Yes, well, you get a chance to inspect it properly, don't you? Does that you, make sense? You you can you properly investigate it. It's like because we're both volunteer for the Strandings Network. Yep. That's the only time you ever get that close to stuff. Yes, it's dead, but you get to stroke a seal. Yes, it's dead, but you get to feel it and see the textures. You can open their mouth, you can see their teeth, you see the bones. I think that's the best bit. Just getting close to something that you wouldn't normally get close yeah. to. And yeah, that's that's why one of the reasons why I do Conning Creatures is to show everybody else the things that we experience from doing the charity work i think also a lot of people here outside our mind a lot of people don't even go to the beach no or if they go to the beach it's set up a windbreak have a picnic go for a swim they're not exploring or investigating their surroundings very few people rock pool anymore and rock pooling is just an amazing environment where you just see all these mind-blowing tiny creatures and again we have a haven here at battery rocks there was a rainbow slug found what the first one not the uk well there's been two hasn't there and one in silly yeah and they're like you said first ones in the uk and they are absolutely stunning one of the prettiest little creatures that you will ever see and people just I don't know. Like you said, turn a blind eye or just not ignore them. That's the wrong word. I don't think people put time into it. I know I used to do it. I used to just go on a walk and that's it. But I've never slowed. I don't think people slow down. No, that's... look. So I'm not going to lie. When I look for Lego, because I'm trying to, I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to find Lego. I think it was like a few weeks ago. I went to your beach. And I just I literally just got on my hands and knees for like 40 minutes. Because I normally don't. I just like look and I'm like, oh, I can't find I got on my hands and knees 40 minutes <laughs> looking. I didn't find Lego, but I found like a weird squishy gorilla. I saw that. My sister has now <laughs> on her like gorilla shrine that she has. And I wouldn't have found that if I hadn't stopped. got on my hands and knees and looked. Or slow, you say slow down. Yeah. And especially some of the bones, it they're buried. Yeah. So if you don't look and slow down a bit, you won't see that one bone poking up and think, oh, it's a bone. Or they're the same colour as the rocks or hidden yeah. under seaweed or yeah things like that so where did you learn everything you are a fountain of knowledge you mentioned open university but about the anatomy of bones and what types of bones and just everything how did you did you teach yourself yeah so self-taught um it was an in like i said i i started picking this stuff i had no idea when I picked anything up in the first place, the first time I found a porpoise skull, so it was a dolphin. And then you go home and then you start researching it. And you go, oh, actually, it's not a dolphin, it's a porpoise. What makes it a porpoise, not a dolphin? And it's the beak size and the size mm. of the skull. And then you start learning about all these different parts and the way that they work. So, yeah, it's, it's all self-taught. And then... You find, like I said, you find something, you go somewhere, you 
you research and then once you start researching it just leads you down warren hole you must have done this oh, i do st- it all the time yeah start off looking at okay what's a bone for this animal and he goes oh that's fascinating and you go off on a tangent and then you find out this other th- amazing fact about this animal mm. and then it's relations down. you just go down a rabbit hole yeah which is also the best bit yeah, because then you're completely expanding your knowledge. You rather than focusing on one aspect of what you're doing, you're opening your mind. Isn't it exciting when you like Google something and you get deeper and deeper? I love it. I'm finding some more juice about this. I could spend hours googling. I think I spent. I found a couple of sea beans recently, and they're the same sea beans. They're seen hearts. And I know the information on them. I They're not my first ones that I found, but I've still spent hours for the last week just Googling these things again, just because you can never have enough knowledge about anything. And then actually, what is useful for people like us who are self-taught? Facebook. Yes. I was hoping you'd bring this up. Vulture culture. I was going to say, vulture culture is the best group I have ever found and there is some so amazing people on there. So like Richard Lawrence and Lauren Rivers being just two of them, for example. Um, the wealth of knowledge that these people have is amazing. And they are willing to share it with you. They want to help. And someone will know something. Yeah. If you pick up something, you have no idea. Someone will know. And people like, it's encouragement as well. And advice on how to clean things and if people want to get their license how do you do it and it's such a nice little community it is an awesome community and i've not found a facebook page like vulture culture like you say because everyone is so friendly and willing to help we've just done secret santas it's christmas for people that. that are listening in like middle of july so we've just had christmas and we've just all done secret silence of vulture culture. We've all just sent each other random gifts. And it's been awesome. And that's the community that we have because we want to help people. I didn't know when I first joined vulture culture that much. Now I know a lot more so I can pass my information on as well as still learning from the gurus on that mm. page. But also put your achievements on there. Yeah. So when you find something cool, then you can say, oh, I found this dead seal today. Look at the bones. I can't wait for this to be clean. And that's... No one judges you on there. No, they if you don't. you post that on your normal page, oh, you're yeah. probably blocked, reported, maybe some concerns. <laughs> yeah. Vulture culture, it's... Oh, got one of those as well. I love it. Oh, that's a good... That's a good scowl. I like that. The other thing that I think is quite important about vulture culture is the sharing of specimens... So I know you're not involved in it as much as I am, but if I find something interesting, I have no problems sure. sending things off to people because they have a better understanding, a better knowledge. It's more useful for them to own it than it is for me to own it. Yeah. And I think that's very important in our world doing this, that specimens of importance should go to where they need to be, not where you want them to be. Yeah, I agree. So like the yeah. puffer fish that I found. Yes. So, so where's that gone? Oh, it's in my freezer still at the minute. I'm waiting for the go. postal strikes to sort of finish. Because <laughs> I do not want to send that off. It was bad enough sending off a whale vertebrae for the for the secret Santa because that took over a week to turn up. Um, so that will go off to... Um, so someone in York University's asked for it. 
and wow. York University are an open source university. So if I send it up to them, anybody can access it. Anybody no. from yeah, so anybody from around the world, if they want to see what an oceanic puffer fish looks they'll like, they'll have it there and they can access it. Which I think is absolutely brilliant. And it has more benefits there than it is sitting in my in freezer. freezer. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is very important. Yeah. Once I get some more bones, I'll definitely do that. I'll definitely do some sharing. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. So, what is your favourite part of your collection? Oh, God, you know, it's I've... like mu- choosing your favourite child. I know, I've mused over this for hours. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> no, I have. And I... I've picked three... But in all honesty, I don't have a favourite part of my collection. I was trying to think of what would what would I be devastated if I lost. Yeah. Which obviously that means, means something to me. But that's not what my collection's about. So what we didn't mention earlier is a, a lot of what we have, the, the cetacean bones, the dolphins, porpoises and whales, we have to have a licence mm-hmm. for it. So your licences are for educational science use. So Lucy and I have them both for educational purposes. Um, but I don't know, they all mean something. The the dolphin skull, the you know, to the whale skulls, even down to the smaller starfish, they all mean something and it's something to show everybody else. And they all have a story. Yes. The way you picked it up and how you did it. Names you've probably given it. Yeah. They all have. So the, none of them. Are, I don't have a favourite part of my collection. I suppose the ones that I'd be devastated to lose. But again, like we were saying earlier, if I had to give them up for the correct purposes, yeah. like if a museum wanted them, then I'd In happily do that. Yeah, completely. Um, so probably my Rizzo's skull. So Rizzo's is a, for those who don't know, a large dolphin. They're blunt-headed, they don't have a beak, they're about four metres. They start off black, and as they age and interact with each other, they scar and turn white. But they always smile. If you see a Rizzo in the wild, alive, they've always got this like little smile on their face. So I love Rizzo's. And then my other one, which... I think I'd like it just because it was quite an achievement. It's the minky calf whale skull. I was hoping you'd say that one. Is that? That's that over there, yeah. Um, so we had, as Lucy mentioned earlier, we had a minky whale wash in back in February. Valentine's Day. Was it Valentine's Day? Yeah, I went Day? back through my camera roll. I was like, oh, that was a lovely Valentine's <laughs> Day. <laughs> so um, you went down to see it. Yeah, the moment it stranded. And then I went down the next day with some people to record it because they were new at recording. Mm. And then it was sort of washing about our beach for a couple of months, wasn't it? And just sort of moving around the beach. Because there was really bad storms, so it was being thrown all over the place. Yeah. And then, yeah. Then it settled for ages in one place. And then what happened is it, it builds up with gases and it had a weak point... And it pushed a calf out. And this calf was six foot, so not fully grown, six foot long. Um, obviously, we recorded that as well. And then I collected the whole specimen, <laughs> brought it home. 
And then, yeah, and obviously because it was premature, nothing's formed properly, but I managed to get all the bones from it and have actually reconstructed its skull. Was it really soft still? Yeah, so I had to use special chemicals which soak into it to make the bones harder. Oh! Yeah, paloloid is the chemical, and you it's like... It, it's like um, a plastic, I'm going to call it a plastic, and then you mount it in another chemical and then you paint it on and it soaks into the bone and it stabilises them. Oh, that's interesting. Fascinating. And that was, again, that was something that I learned to do from Vulture Culture from Richard Lawrence. Which, I, you can't Google that. How no, do I make a scallop more hard? <laughs> no, I wouldn't have known how to do it unless somebody was willing to help me. And then the the last thing that I think I'd be devastated if I lost would be Rune. So for people that don't know or that hasn't been to any of my things, Rune is my first go at taxidermying a seal head. It sounds like you're going to say Rune was my first love. (laughs) (laughs) Rune is my first love. Um, And I love Rune. I do love Rune. And it's mainly because... She's so soft. People don't realise how soft seals are. No. And that's the first thing I do is I get people, if anybody comes into my house, because Rune's got pride of place, is I get them to go and stroke her. And I get them to play with her whiskers and, you know, have a good look. Because nobody gets to do that. No. Oh, I just love it. I love, it's like people's reactions. Yeah. Well, that's actually what I was going to say. It's not the collection that's or anything in my collections that's my favorite part my favorite part is taking my collection to show people and what you just said people's reactions when you pick up a bone that's the size of your head you go this is a vertebrae from a whale and people go oh and it's not just little kids it'll be older people oh my god i had no idea i did a talk a couple of months ago for Goval Welcome Club and they are all older people so 60s up and they loved it absolutely loved all of it loved touching things and picking things up and feeling how heavy they were I bet they're amazed that I'm assuming they've lived here their whole life to know that that has also been out there yeah. this entire time that they've been here and they yeah. had no idea Yeah. all that is a similar age or just Aww. Yeah, so it doesn't always have to be young people. Older people are equally yeah. as fascinated in this as well. Well, when, because I sometimes help on your yep. stalls, when we did the Queen's Jubilee, yep. that was a lot of older people actually, and they loved it. I just remember all their reactions. People were touching it, people were just, oh, people were fascinated, and I loved it. I remember the old man kind of maybe. They broke the seal too, too heavy-handedly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they loved it. And then if you bump into... Because it's a very small place. You'll bump into people and they'll be like, oh, I loved that skull stall. Yeah. Did a few months ago. I'm still thinking about it. It sticks. People remember it. Yeah. Well, from the Goval talk, I've got quite a few talks with the elder people because normally it's schools that contact me which is very good which is awesome because you're starting the next generation but equally I want 
you know, anybody can make a change. Anybody can make a difference, no matter how old you are. They can start collecting bones if they want to. But, but they can also help protect things. So you can't protect something if you don't know it's here. No. So if you've got that passion, um, you can do something about it. And it's knowing, A, that they're here, and B, what you can do. So older people might not know that picking, if you're going to pick up anything off the beach, pick up something that's looped. And why do we pick up looped things? Because they pick get loop. oh yes they get wrapped, wrapped around, around heads. So anything that is a, a loop, so whether like it's a frisbee or a packing tape, because yeah. they quite often come in big loops. Anything like that. So if they're going to pick up anything, pick up something that's going to save an animal. Yeah, rather than picking up loads of microplastics, which you can do, but it's not going to save an animal. No, and. And we need to we need to pick it all up, but I think at, while you're on the beach yourself, you also need, especially this time of year, because there's just so much stuff. You have to prioritise what you're picking up. Yeah. So like hard plastic. So like if there was a fishing crate on the beach, you'd leave that there and you'd pick up all the things that look like jellyfish. Yeah. That other things are going to eat, or the looped things. The fishing crate can wait. We did it. Um, we went for a week. We did a um. A day, every day we went to the beach and we were picking up rubbish every day but we left all the plastic bottles on the beach because they weren't the important things to pick up and then at the end of the week we went down with black bags and filled up four black bags just with plastic bottles but everything else had been took off the beach in the week before that to save potential risks mm. to wildlife how many water bottles was that it was i end? didn't count them they just went straight into recycling it was ridiculous and you recently found because you do a lot of beach cleans as well yeah what was it it was like these rug sandbag ind- oh, industrial um, things they were that was a spill kit what are they um so they're used for loads and loads of different purposes um so like one example is um supermarkets use them so like if you've been in a supermarket and like one of the fridges or the freezers are leaking you quite often oh. see those big tubes at the bottom that's what they're doing they're sucking up water um but they can also be used to contain oil spills so if you've got like an oil spill sitting on the water you can put these massive sausages out on, uh, around them so it stops the spill so, going further oh. so is that what it, i'm assuming was used for out sea was well, I no, they were it was brand new kicks. I found the the plastic sticker for them. The lots. It was a brand new kit. I don't even think it had seen action. And there was five of them across this beach, and I picked one up at a time, dragged them a mile across the beach. Had to phone my partner because by the time I was like, I don't know, two thirds away along this beach, I just couldn't pull them anymore. They were just too heavy. So I had to phone my partner. He came down. We split them. Because they were like 10 foot long. They were ridiculously long as well. And don't forget, they're, they're already sodden with water. Yeah. And then you're dragging them across a beach. So yeah, it, it does get a bit of a mammoth task sometimes cleaning the beaches when you're by yourself. It's always fulfilling. It's always fulfilling. It is. It is. It, it, you, you go home thinking you've, hopefully made a difference to something yeah 
I tend to do that if I'm feeling a bit rubbish. Like, if I go for a beach clean, at least I've done something today. It yeah. Does, it does help. It does help. But there's so much. Yeah, it's, it does get... That rubbish. gets a bit depressing as well, doesn't it, sometimes? When you're just on the beach and you just go, I can't... I can't pick it up. I can't pick that up. What other things do you sometimes see stranded? So, like, Portuguese Man of War. Yeah, so that'll be this times. time of year. So you get the Portuguese Man of War and the Bywind Sailors. That'll be now. I haven't seen any recently, actually. They should the be sailors. coming. I haven't actually seen any recently. Hmm. A lot of things from America. Yeah, the pufferfish. No, that came from that was America. the Med sort of area. So like the, this time of year, we're getting the sea beans. They come from the Caribbean. And then we also get... Um, Lobster pot tags. So in oh, a, yeah. So in America, they have... They're really strict with their fishing regulations, actually. And if you're a lobster fisherman, you get given a licence. And as part of your licence, every pot that you put in the sea has to have a tag on it. And this tag has your name, your licence number, where you're allowed to fish, all this sort of information to stop you fishing illegally. But they come over in their droves this time of year because it's Gulfstream. It is just... Picking stuff up from that side of the world, taking it straight across and dumping it mm. here in Cornwall, which is both bad and good. Because you can track it down. Yeah, which away. is fascinating. And you can join Facebook pages or you can email the American Fisheries and they are really open and they will tell you where they come from. And that's fascinating to learn all this stuff. And it also shows that it's one ocean. People yeah. tend to think of it as, well, this is our ocean, these are our fish, and that's their ocean over there, and that's their fish. But it's not like it's all, that. It's, it's all one big... Yeah, it's one big ocean. blue ocean. It's all, yeah. it's all the same. It's like the Lego. That's been washed up everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it crashed and at Land's End, but... It's, and it's been it's, like, I want to say Denmark? Yeah. Like, like those sort yeah. of like, areas it's gone as well? off to places in Europe. Yeah. But it was... Just down the road. Yeah. 25 years ago. And it's still washing up. Yep. And I still haven't found any. 2023. I'm, I'm actually going to find it. I'll have to hide my dragon from you. You know what? <laughs> but one day you're probably going to be so annoyed at me asking. You're going to like hide it in a beach. And be like, oh, Lucy, look, there's a Lego. And I'll be so like, oh, what about this Lego? And they'll just never tell me that you planted it. <laughs> so I'll shut up for a bit. <laughs> At least you would have found a piece, I and it would have, have it. it would have it quenched your craving to it do it. Made my year. <laughs> <laughs> and see, that's the thing that I love about beachcombing, as well as finding the um, the bones and stuff. It does. I get excited. So do I. I get so happy and excited. And when most people look at you and you'll have the same thing and you're picking up this bit of plastic off the beach and because it's got some information on it that you can track, yes. it's like, oh my God, this has made my day. People are like looking at you like a white weirdo. But you don't understand. It's <laughs> from like New York and I can trace it. Yeah. Oh, even with like seagrass, I still get excited. Even if you can't trace that back, just find a bit of seagrass. Yeah, but seagrass is pretty, isn't it? And then we found... When was that? Last year, that pink cuttlefish. You found the pink yeah. cuttlefish. I had no idea what it was at the time. 
But then seeing how excited you got, I got excited. <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> well, I'd been picking the bones up off that beach, and I'm not joking. There are times I've been on that beach, and I've picked up over a hundred bones, and I've took them all home and counted them. I think my most was 160 bones in one day off that beach. Never found a whole specimen, and they are incredibly rare. So it, they, it was definitely a pink, and it was. Yeah, because they're deep sea, so by the time they get up to where you found it, they've gone, they've disintegrated because they're made of jelly, pretty much. They're not solid animals. So it would have died quite deep in the ocean. Yeah, and come up. up. Well, it would have come up in the surges, because can you remember, it was a really, we'd had loads of storms, there was loads of seaweed on the beach, so it would have come up in the surges, and you just happened to... I thought it was a dog toy. I just thought it was like a squidgy dog toy, and you were like, Lucy! There's a big cuttlefish. Can I have it, please? Okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I know that's still sitting upstairs, and I still need to do something with that as well, actually. Was that going to go into the natural history? Yeah, I, I, I need to find the email address for the person. They did give me, but it was a generic email address. Oh. But again, that that needs to go off to somewhere yeah. more important than sitting on a, a shelf upstairs. Yeah. Because they're, they're just not seeing... I think someone said the last time one had been seen was like... Was it like twenty years? Really? It was. It was. A, it was a good long time. I can't remember the exact time period, but it was a while since one had even been seen. I think you're right. I think you're right. And there's you. What's this? What's this? <laughs> it's this pink thing. In a pink cutter. And I'm like dancing around okay. on the beach. Lucy. Can I have it, please? Yes, sure. Okay. <laughs> And I went home and mum's like, oh, what? Like, Why does everyone know what this thing is that I don't? <laughs> but that that goes back to the question that you asked earlier about knowledge. And now I know. You told me, I did some research. Yeah, but you don't know, especially people like us who aren't trained. Well, I know you you are, but I'm not trained in this. But I still didn't know what it was. There's still I, a lot of things I don't know. Well, yeah, you're not going to. I mean, even people that have been in the field for decades are learning stuff every day. So people like you and me, we've got so much in front of us mm. and it all comes from doing that, picking up and go, oh, what is this? I'm glad you didn't throw it away, though. <laughs> <laughs> These, I, I don't know what I would have done if I... If we weren't there. Or if I'd gone by myself. Or if we weren't there. I would have gone. That's another thing when you think about it. You go for a beach. If you didn't go for that specific day. The things you missed. That time, you wouldn't have picked that I know, up. I hate that. It drives me insane in the winter, knowing that I'm at work and there's and a storm the... raging <laughs> and I'm like, oh, imagine what I'm missing. Everything. All the best stuff, I'm pretty sure of it, washes up when I'm at work. Oh, yeah. Or if it's like a beach clean event that you can't attend. Like that one beach clean that I didn't do... I think it was for Love Your Beach. For some reason, I didn't go. And they found... I can't remember who found it. I think it was Yvonne. Yvonne found... Oh, no, t- or Emily found Seagrass Lego. Oh, yeah. Red River. And I was doing it, like, every single Monday after work, I was going and I was looking. And for whatever reason, I just didn't go to that event. And she found it. Yeah, so that's that's one of those so, things that will drive you insane. I'm never not, not going to beach clean because I'm not risking not finding it. <laughs> yeah, but then if you go to beach clean, I always have this conundrum. Do you want to see somebody else pick up the Lego dragon because they were two feet in front of you? Or do you want to take it off them? <laughs> do you just push them That's over nice. and run off with it? <laughs> no, you want to see their reaction to it. 
and then cry when you get home. <laughs> cry internally as you're going, well done! It's like, this is very off topic, but I remember I went to the Harry Potter studios and there was this thing where, oh, it's like the Goblet of Fire, and there's this gimmick where they, they spit out like a piece of paper and it lands on my foot and I just looked at it and thought, cool. And the little girl picked it up and she's like, oh, it says Harry Potter on it! And then she got called up and then she had this whole, and I just, my mum looked at me like, you could pick that up. Why didn't you pick that up? And I just think about that on the beach. Like, oh. I just remember that situation. Like, Why have I not learned from that situation where I didn't pick up Harry Potter's name out of the goblet and now I'm missing out? <laughs> well, it's, it is a weird one, isn't it? Like, I, I want everything for myself. <laughs> but equally... Yeah, you want to share it. If I found something on the beach, say, like, if we go, we're going to the beach after we finish this, so if I find a sea bean... I'm going to not pick it up and I'm going to make you look for it because I want to see the excitement on your face when you find your first seed bean. So that's also very important because that gets the next people into it. So they found this amazing thing on the beach because we haven't found it, but then that might spark their interest and then... You just you, you don't know what people are capable of. So that if you if they pick up that bit of Lego, they could go home and then they could start researching it and then they could start researching on plastic pollution and then it could go on to this whole thing and they could change legislations. Yeah. Like Sue Sayer, like she said in her podcast, she's changed legislations all from her passion from Seals. seeing a seal for the first time. Yeah. She didn't she didn't do any like she didn't do a special silk silk or she didn't like she just watched seals and followed her passion. Yeah, passion. Passion. If there's any message, passion. Passion. Just yeah. follow your passions. Doesn't matter if you're camera rolls for the dead things or if you're excited pieces of rubbish. <laughs> yeah. The passion's there. If yeah. You're excited. Who cares? Because you you spread your passion. Yeah. You spread enjoyment when you show other people your enjoyment definitely but it's not just bones there's a squirrel over there there's a squirrel over there so you do taxidermy as well i do do taxidermy so we do ethical taxidermy yes. which is very important and also the bones are ethically sourced because they're all stranded dead yes yes so um ethical taxidermy is roadkill really yeah. or window strike birds or things like that things that have died of i'm going to use the word natural causes i I think being hit by a car isn't necessarily a natural cause but it hasn't been killed purposely for taxidermy yeah um so yeah i started teaching myself that be again it was the strandings so like birds for an example you'd go on the beach and you'd record a razor bill and it would be in beautiful condition and I'd get to pick it up and I'd get to have a look at it and inspect it and then it got to the point where taking its skull seemed like the wrong thing to do because I can take a skull of any bird and show a skull but it doesn't mean anything unless you can show the people what the specimen the skulls come from yeah so being able to taxidermy birds rather than just taking skulls around me was just a complete different dimension to connie's creatures because it gave a more visual 
and then they could come up because I'm I'm very up for people coming and touching my stuff. I know a lot of places would wouldn't like that. But I'd rather someone come up and touch a bird for the first time and realise how super soft they are. Probably especially if they have a fear of birds. Yeah. Touching a dead one and a taxidermy one might help. Yeah. Yeah, so you never know. So yeah, that's why I started teaching myself taxidermy. So I'm not the best at it. Um, It's adequate for what I do to show people um, our wildlife. Mm. But yeah, then that um, also dried specimens. So you quite often find dried specimens on the beach anyway. So is that like your starfish and your nurse hand where you've dried them out? Well, yeah, well, it's like some of like the fish that I've had, like the dab. Yeah. And um, another flatfish that I've got, they were just dried anyway because they were on the beach for God knows how long, yeah. hadn't been scavenged, and they were just, just dried naturally out. dried out. So then I just take them home. And then just sort of brush them off a bit and make sure they're properly dry. And then, yeah, that's it. Really simple process drying. Um, The wet specimens, we've only got one wet specimen, two wet specimens actually. Cuttle. And the little nurse hound. Oh, yeah. Um, But I send them off to Lauren Rivers, who I mentioned earlier. Again, through vulture culture. Through vulture culture. Because we know she does it. Yeah, because she's an awesome um, wet specimen preserver. And I don't want to get involved with the chemicals with that one. So I'm just leaving that one up to <laughs> other people. Who knows what doing. Yeah. So I'm not going to die <laughs> in my own house. <laughs> using formaldehyde. And the, there's courses as well that you've done a taxidermy course. Well, so... no, I was meant to have done a taxidermy course, but um, my dad died. Oh, so bugger. the funeral was the week that I was meant to do my course. So obviously that didn't happen, but the guy who I was meant to be doing it has been very gracious, and um, I will be rearranging it. So that's just, uh, like I said, I'm not the best, I know the principles, and that's just to learn finishing touches. Yeah, because I think you said before, birds are difficult to do. Is yeah, they, they um, birds can be difficult with feather placement. Um mammals i've i struggle to close their mouths <laughs> it sounds really weird but it's a whole process you have to split the lips you have to put make a form for the head you put clay in tuck the split lips into the clay pin it all up i guess um, whereas birds you just can chuck a beak on well no you leave the skull in so you, oh. you skin a bird completely um but you leave the skull in a bird because obviously the beak is part of it so there's that's a little bit easier. Yeah, but it's like um, folding wings and the feathers on the shoulders mm. can quite often look a bit messy if you've not placed them properly. <laughs> so yeah, it's like learning finishing touches. It's mindful as well. You're just sitting there doing it's it. Fascinating. It's fascinating. And it's just... Because we did one, I did my first little, <laughs> blessed little mouse. It's just, it worked. It's a thing, but it's like bums missing. It's towels falling off, so it's in like a, a worry stone bag. <laughs> it's like a witchy mouse. But it's such a nice, I, like, I liked the process. It was really interesting. Yeah, you learn so much about anatomy. Yeah. By doing. Not just the bones, but yes. everything. Yeah. So like that bit that you've read about. You can actually see. You go, mm. oh, that's where the tongue on a woodpecker sits. It sits up around the back of its skull. 
Why would you know that? Why would you see that unless you're doing it? You wouldn't. But you get to experience it all firsthand by doing taxidermy. And the same with owl pellets. It's just just getting rid of all the bits of fur and stuff and finding all the skulls and what they eat. Yeah. Like seeing how small ribs can be, seeing how small little pelters can be, seeing how small little skulls can be. Yeah, how delicate they are. The fact that they... They're whole most of the time. Yeah, which is fascinating. So they just gulp them down, don't yeah. they? Yeah, that whole process is. I just love that. It's like a little. I don't know. It's like a little game of, like when you get those fossil things, you like chisel away. Oh, yeah. But it's just with, with owl poo, and you're just like, whoa, I found a skull. That's so cool. And I've got little jars of tiny bones now. But if you didn't know that you could do that, no. Like, and again, it, it, like you said, it, it teaches people, doesn't it? Like, what they're eating, so they're eating rodents, so it's important to protect the rodents, because mm. if you don't protect the rodents, you can't protect the owls. Yeah. So it's all, it's, things like that show you how everything's intertwined. And you learn about anatomy more, so like, the rodents' teeth are orange. Oh, why are they orange? Google it. Yeah. It's iron, isn't it? Um, or is that beavers? I uh, do marine stuff. I think, I think it's just... <laughs> I think it's I think it's iron. I have to like double check. I know some of them are really orange but teeth. Some are re- is the orange to do its strength is because their teeth are meant to be stronger so they can gnaw thicker stuff. things better and they won't damage their that teeth. That wouldn't surprise me at all actually. Because all their teeth are orange. It's just really interesting. Needs more googling. Yeah. Needs more See? googling. See? We've opened a wormhole. <laughs> but yeah. That's just so cool. So what do you think Connie's creatures would be like in the future? Well, we've already touched on what I'd love to do with Connie's creatures. Museum. The museum. Monty's museum. I no, I have <laughs> no I have a name. Oh you do? I do have a name, Grampus Campus. So Grampus is part of the Latin name for a Rizzo. Oh, yeah. so your favourite one. It's my favourite one. And I just thought Grampus Campus just had a nice ring to it. I like that. I like that. But I'd, I'd love to start a museum down here. It, like I said, it will probably never happen. I'll probably never have the funds to do it. But You've been trying. It's just been so difficult. Yeah, somewhere to set up my collection permanently so it can... More people can see it and appreciate it more people can learn from it because the other thing is taking it around the schools i damage it i do damage it mm. there's you can't avoid it um like the minky whale skull doesn't leave my house because it's too fragile the baby one the baby one but if i had somewhere permanent then you could just have it like that well no you could, have now in a room somewhere well i've actually got the whole skeleton so if I had somewhere to set it up permanently, you just leave it. it would have the whole skeleton set up. And I've got a whole skeleton for a common dolphin, which I don't have the space to display either here or even if I articulate it, I wouldn't have the space to store it. So it has to be unarticulated in a box, just waiting yeah. for some point for me to do it. But if I had a museum, they'd all be done and they people could see them. More people can see them. It's needed. We need one in Cornwall. We need one down this end of Cornwall. We need one just here. I don't... Oh, we 
just need to get... Can we not just get an empty building? There's plenty of them about. Buy it. I know it's easier said than done. I know. <laughs> and then just do it. Well, the other thing is that I... Um, I have been looking at about turning Connie's Creatures into a charity. How would that work? What would it do? What does that mean if Connie's Creatures becomes a charity? Well, if How does it change? It means that I can apply for funding to get a space like a museum. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So <laughs> Not you're... for like, any gain or anything. No, cause, no. Because I do all this. I do. It's all f- mostly for free. I, every now and again, people give me a donation. Because, I mean, it's my fuel... The chemicals aren't cheap no. to clean bones with. I mean, taxidermy, I still need chemicals for that. I need, you know, the wood wool. I need metal wire. Faces. I need string. I glass eyes. All this sort of stuff costs. And I'm, I pay for it all. So, but if I registered as a charity, I might be able to get funding for a location. Oh. That's my sort of... Does that make it it would make it easier if it was a charity it's... rather than just some random person going, oh, it's not a museum. <laughs> Is it hard to become a charity? Not from what I can see. I need another person to be on my board with me. Oh, I wonder who. Lucy. I'll, I would happily do that. Um, and then I think once there's a couple of us involved in it, you can apply to be a charity. And then once we are a charity, we can start looking at what potential grants there are and out there. out there. So there would be one, I don't know what it would be, well, the National Museum or... National Lottery do big grants for things like this. I mean, even if we got it for a year, even if we got a space for a year... Just to kick it off. Yeah. And then you never know what would come then, from that. Yeah. Could be that public could end up funding, funding it after a year if it's like, I don't know, donation at the door, but... Yeah. Found. And if loads of people pile in because it's the only museum... Yeah. It'll pay for itself. Yeah. Well, then that's when you'd start getting other people involved, isn't it? So it's like Susea, who's mm. got Septimus. Yes. So you'd get people like them involved in the museum, and then you'd get people like Dan Jarvis from the BDLMR involved in it. Because I know that, I know that these these two people from these two organisations have very similar dreams of wanting a permanent space set up so we can show our local wildlife and we can have talks and discussions and we can have groups in without having to cut all our stuff around with us yeah so it would be really beneficial both for the charities and the public it just it makes sense it's hard to just drag it around schools all the time you want to be able to like take a school i don't know just a day trip it would just a museum is needed yeah well if like with the schools you could you have the whole school come. Yeah. Rather than doing from classroom, I'm doing, okay, I'm doing this classroom today, you could have them in, like, our sections or whatever and just pile the whole school through. As long as you've got enough volunteers or people there just to talk to people. I think it's doable. Hopefully. I think it's doable. I, I'm just a pessimist at heart, so I always get pleasantly surprised when my quite hairbrain ideas come to fruition sometimes. It will work. It will work. It's knowing which holes to jump through. Yes. Who to talk to. Yes. Other people have made charities. So we can do it. I yeah. don't think it's that hard. I think I went through a rabbit hole in looking how to make a charity. I don't think it's that hard. I don't think it's that hard. It's just... Just doing it. Doing it. And knowing it's the right thing to do. I think it is the right thing to do. Because otherwise, I don't think... Otherwise, like, what happens if we stop 
But if you stop doing Connie's Creatures, then that's it. There's nothing. Nothing. And you don't want it to stop. No, I want... It can't stop. No, I want generations and generations to see our wildlife. Hopefully our wildlife will be there in generations, but if it's not... Then what you have might be... Be it. it might be it. But then the other side of it is that one kid that you speak to... Might or become... What, yeah. Yeah, the next the person that changes the law or the next David Attenborough who brings it to the masses or whatever, but you need, you need to do it, don't you? Mm. Yeah. It's like all those people, they start off quite late in life as well. So you, you don't know who it's going to influence. No. All. You told me three years ago, I now have like half a dolphin in my garden. <laughs> I wouldn't believe you. Now I do because I met you and then Vulture Culture and then realised how amazing Mount Bay is with the stuff we have. Yeah, and what do you do with yours? All my bones. At the moment, they're all just in my bedroom. <laughs> but you, you're, but I, you run a wildlife club. Yeah. So with work, I would do I do wildlife club, but it's got to the point now where like funding with work and stuff that they can't carry on. But the school wanted to keep me. Yeah. And so now I can basically make wildlife club my own thing, which I've fallen into, which is really strange. Like at the beginning of it. I had a mentor, and he's like, if you don't fall into teaching, I'd be very surprised. Literally a year later, I have I've not done a teaching degree. <laughs> I feel like a bit of an imposter. <laughs> and I've fallen into it. And I'm basically the wildlife leader, and I help lead wildlife club. And you've come in, and you've brought your animals in, and they've loved it. And I have brought in some of my one. I did it once. I brought in... It was quite a, a last-minute idea, because I needed to do something. I took in, like, a fox skull and all the little bird pellets... And I took them in, and we went in the the woodlands and did field sketching. They loved it, and it was so nice seeing them just, oh, look at this, this is so cool, can I take this home and draw this? Yeah, um, because seeing something and being able to touch, feel, smell, straight, whatever, is so much better learning yeah. than reading it from a book. So when you're taking the kids out into the woods, to show them, let's say, the different tree leaves... It's way better than reading them out of a book. Oh, yeah. I, like, personally, I learn better from doing things. Yeah. I don't learn anything from reading. So if most of the things I do with my bones is they're in my bedroom because I only just got my licence, so now I can, like, collect more. Basically, <laughs> most of my things are being cleaned and they're in they're in buckets of water or they're buried in, in tubs. But stuff that's clean is just in my bedroom and I just, like, draw them. But I draw them to learn about them and yeah. Google, oh, this is this boat. Oh, okay. What's the last name? Oh, okay. I just draw it. And I've, I've really got into that, actually. Um, just making nature, nature journals. So I'm going to... Next year, I want to make just like a drawing book. So I think, again, vulture culture, a lot of people do really nice anatomical drawings of their bones. Because that's something I do a lot. I just... I love sitting down and just draw, writing, drawing all the bones and... I went through some of my old drawings today, you progressed. actually. And I drew... I don't know, I just always just really loved Anatomy of Bones. And I drew a lion. And it was in 20... I think it was labelled 2020. And I didn't realise I started doing it two years ago and I kind of ignored it. And then I've been doing more. Like I said at the start, I wouldn't know half the things I know about cetaceans, about wildlife in Cornwall, if it wasn't for Connie 
So thank you so much, Connie, for just being a fountain of knowledge and then just taking me under your wing and just teaching me so much. Uh, I've loved every second of it and I really enjoyed our interview. If you would like to learn a bit more about Connie's creatures or if you're local and you want to get in touch with her and have her bring her incredible collection, you can absolutely, I'll leave a link to her Facebook page, which is just simply Connie's Creatures, where you can just see what she's done and then get in contact with her if you'd like. That's the end of this episode. If you want to reach out for me, you can. Uh, my email is in the link show notes below at buccaneerforwildlife at gmail.com. I, I do appreciate the emails I have come through. I've had one and it really made my day so thank you to those who do send emails in they they do mean a lot it makes me realize that people are listening and enjoy it and it just gives me a little boost so thank you that's it from me i hope you all have a great start to the new year and i'm excited to see where this podcast goes in the next 12 months i have a list I want to go through and I'm really excited to get it going so thank you for joining this journey and I'll speak to you very soon